Last week, I was talking to you about biblical honor. Do you remember the three major categories that we dealt with when we're talking about biblical honor? We spoke about honoring God. We spoke about honoring old people, right? The aged. What other category was there that we spoke about? Honoring one another. Remember? Practicing hospitality. Those of you who are here, right? Was it powerful stuff? Were you ministered to? Are you putting it into practice? Now, there's, one, there, there's something I just want to build on a little bit. Uh, my good wife uh, reminded me about something, and she said, you know what? Remember I quoted uh, Psalm 84, and I, I think I attributed it to David, right? Uh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, right? Better is a day in, your, in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. But I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord right? Than sit in the tents of the wicked, than a thousand elsewhere. Do you remember that? Okay. And she reminded me that when David compiled the Psalms, he actually attributed that Psalm to the sons of Korah. And when you actually unpack it from their perspective, it's extremely powerful. So I'm going to give you a quick history lesson. You know, when we talk about the Levites in scripture, the Levites, they were divided into three categories, three categories, right? Um, so you, you would have the guys from Gershon, right? But you also had the sons of Korah. Korah was like a cousin of Moses. And they had different functions. They had different functions in the temple. Remember, some of them could go into the holy place, all right? Um, but the sons of Korah or the Korah guys, they were basically the ones who would carry all those, um, you know, like the chalices and so on, and they couldn't touch them. If you touch them, you die, right? Remember back in the day, things were at, on another level, right? So they would basically carry those. And what happened was Korah rose in rebellion because of familiarity. Remember, we were talking about honor, and we were talking about the thing that kills honor. It's a spirit of familiarity and offense. And what happened was there was a bit of an uprising because they began to question, why is it that Aaron can do all these things? Why is it that these other priests can do all these other things and we can't? And remember what Moses did because there was about 250 of them that rose in rebellion against Moses. And Moses basically said, okay, if you guys think that I'm not called by God, let's, let's put this to the test. If you die of natural causes, all right, that means God has not sent me. But if something happens where God intervenes right now, then you'll know I'm sent by God. And remember, that's when they were swallowed up by the sand. Basically, they were swallowed, swallowed by the ground. And they went in, um, in underground, basically, swallowed. And um, it was not all of the sons of Korah that were killed. It was just the ones that rebelled. So some of them survived and continued that lineage. But basically, they experienced some form of demotion. And the nature of that demotion was that even though they were part of the Levitical tribe, they ended up being doorkeepers. Can you see the context now? But, they, but it's amazing how God redeemed them and what God did with them because they, they were known as being great singers and songwriters. Okay, And when you study it, you'll see that David actually would use them. So a lot of the psalms that are psalms of thanksgiving were actually attributed to the sons of Korah. So, for example, you've got, um, I've written them down here, Psalm 42. Remember the one that starts, as the deer pants for the water. That one, that's attributed to them. All right. Um, Psalm 44 to 49. Psalm 84 to 85. Psalm 87 and 88. They also became great warriors with David. 
doing amazing things. So can you see the significance? Although they experienced that demotion, if you read the Psalms that were attributed to them, they speak of thanksgiving and there's a lot of humility and brokenness that comes with them. Does that make sense? All right? And so God is calling us to honor him by spending time with him. Right? And I said to you last week, some people, they get offended. Oh, why aren't I leading in this area? Why aren't I leading worship? I'll rather be a doorkeeper. Right? In the house of the Lord than spend a thousand elsewhere. Isn't that powerful? Okay. So... I want to continue, and the categories of honor I'm going to deal with this morning, I'm going to look at honor largely in the context of family. So number four, we're talking about honoring our parents. We're called to honor our parents. This is one particular area in the life of a believer where there's a lot of confusion. So let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning you would speak to your people we open our hearts to you, Lord, and we ask for revelation knowledge. We know, God, that this revelation on honor will take us places. So we are hungry. May we be soil that that seed of the word of God can be planted and can be sown in, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are called to honor our parents. There's often a lot of confusion around this. And what I've seen happening is that the enemy's strategy against you and me is to cause us to be bitter toward our parents. So he loves it when parents offend their children, when the children are growing up, when parents abandon their children as the children are growing up, so that there's a wound and the children then struggle to honor their parents, and then the children end up not experiencing blessing in their lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because the moment I say, honor your mother and father, for some of you, you're like, yes, yes, we must honor, because of your relationship with your mom and dad. But for some of you, you're like, I want to find a way out of this. I'm sure there's another verse that's, that says we don't really have to. Because of the wounding that took place. Am I speaking to someone this morning? But that's a snare of the enemy against you because he understands, the enemy to some degree understands the word of God. And the enemy wants to trip you up. And very often we are tripped up in our lives, not because of what the enemy does to us, but because of his trickery. Amen? And so when we don't do things according to the word of God, there's no blessing on our lives. We don't have to turn to this particular um, scripture, but it's a very powerful one, Malachi 4 verse 6. And Malachi 4 verse 6 is the one that basically says, for I'm turning the hearts of the fathers, the parents, right, to their sons and daughters, and turning the hearts of the sons and daughters to their parents, lest I strike the land with a curse. The enemy's strategy against us is to have division between the generations. Because when there's division between the generation, the generations, the land is cursed. Are you hearing me this morning? When there's division between the generations and our hearts are not turned toward each other, the land is cursed. I'm getting somewhere with this. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 12, it says, Honor your mother and father that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So this is the first command. So it's a command with a blessing. 
It doesn't say honor your mother and father if they're really cool. It doesn't say honor your mother and father if you were the, the favorite child. It just says honor your mother and father. Right? And it goes on to say that your days may be prolonged in the land. What does that mean? What's the land that God has blessed you? That can speak of many things. It can speak of your inheritance. Amen? It can speak of the favor of God over your life. When we say, hey, he's giving to us everywhere we tread, he's given to us. Everywhere we tread, everywhere my foot lands, he's given to me. Those are the doors that God has opened up for me. I don't know about you, but I want that blessing to be prolonged. Amen? See, many times when we interpret the scripture, we just think, oh, so you may live long. It's way more than this. The promised land for the children of Israel represented their inheritance. Amen? What's your promised land? What's your promised land right now as a believer? It's all the things God has ordained for you, right? Because you're a kingdom child, because you're a son, because you're a daughter. Are you following me this morning? I want that to be prolonged. I don't want to be a one-hit wonder. How many of you are musicians here? How many of you are songwriters here? Raise your hand, please. Raise your hand. Be in agreement with me because there's favor in that area. You know what? When we say, how many of you are this? And you say, yes, I am. Power is released. Amen. How many of you are songwriters here? Okay. A few people are catching on to this right? You don't want to be a one-hit wonder. There are certain groups that were prolonged in terms of the favor they experienced. Amen? People like Cliff Richard, he was known as the eternal teenager. He was writing hit songs as a uh, probably as a teenager right through to his old age. He's now old. Amen? I don't know about you, but if I do business with an organization, I don't want that contract to be cut short. I want it to be renewed. I want my days in the land to be prolonged. Someone is getting this now. Someone is getting this. I don't know about you, but if you're a foreigner, you don't want to just come into a nation and just remain on a work permit. You want to become a permanent resident. You want your residency in the nation to be prolonged. Amen? The Bible says when you honor your mother and father, your days in the promised land that he's promised you will be prolonged. Are you, are you feeling me this morning? God wants to prolong your success. God wants to prolong your prosperity. That's why the story of many Christians today is I had that breakthrough. A year down the line we say, so what happened? Uh, no, yeah, um, yeah, it was a once-off deal. What happened? I thought you had favor. Yeah, no, the guy was, was actually fired. The guy who was my man of peace in the organization. Now the, the, the deal has stopped. That's not your portion. Amen? I want to show you this because you see, when we don't do these things, we rob ourselves of the blessing that God wants to grant to us. It's not just about praying, saying, Lord, bless me. Lord, give me that wonderful deal. Lord, in such and such a nation, may I continue to have good deals. It's not enough. It's prayer mixed with obedience. And this is the obedience. Are you catching this this morning? So the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And I've, I've defined honor multiple times, right? But it's talking about the value you place on something, the price you place on something, the weight you put on something. 
Now, many people get confused because they think, oh, so honoring my mother and father means I must obey them all the time. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you become an adult and you have more word in you than your parents have. It doesn't mean that you have to obey every single thing that they've said if they don't have word in them. Amen? Okay? So honor is not the same as obedience. Honor is not the same as obedience. Honor is to talk about, do you weigh the wisdom on their heart? Do you weigh it heavily? Do you seek their counsel when you need to? Are you hearing me? In Matthew chapter 15 verse 4, it says, For God said, honor your father and mother. It's very powerful when Jesus himself then quotes this, hey? Because he's endorsing what was said. And it says, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Now this is very interesting because it shows me that one of the primary ways we dishonor our parents is what we say about them. Now it's one thing if you're being counseled. Let's say we're in a church setting and I'm counseling you. You know, some people end up going the other extreme where they're like, they can't say anything bad about their parents and their parents were perfect. Now, that doesn't help the, the counseling process. When the Bible talks about speaking evil of, it's not saying never say anything negative about them. It's talking about the motive of what you're saying. Don't go and gossip about your parents. Don't go and air, air their dirty laundry out to everyone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's speaking evil of. Okay. And the result was, he must be put to death. You know what's interesting? When you read the Old Testament, you see the severity of certain sins by the consequences. Amen? It's amazing what they would do to a son that was rebellious. This is serious stuff. Okay? And I found that one of the, one of the things I discipline my kids the most about is if they say something or are dishonoring to their mother. Amen? I was playing soccer. I know it's hard to believe, but I was playing soccer with my wife. So we bought some goalposts, okay? And there was a game I sort of invented, and I said, cool, cool, let's, let's just play. And one of my sons was watching, and he started dissing my wife around her soccer. And because she's, a, she's secure as a person and so on, she didn't retaliate. She didn't react. But something was rising in me. Like, dude, how can you say that? She didn't rise up and say, well, are you going to world champs? She could have. So that was meekness on her part. Meekness is power under control. Where you can diss someone back, but you didn't. Be very careful of speaking evil against your parents. Amen? And we need to raise a generation that knows how to honor parents, even though parents are not perfect. Amen? All right? Many people rationalize how they dishonor their parents they rationalize it away. Oh, no, it's okay because my situation is different, right? <clears throat> In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 to 4 and verse 8, is so powerful because it actually shows how you can love, how you can honor, but with boundaries. Have a look at this. It says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice. How do they do that? By caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. That's a very powerful statement there. 
And many people be like, yeah, but parents abuse this, parents abuse it. That's their responsibility before God. But our responsibility before God is to put our religion into practice. Amen? And I find it interesting here because it's basically showing what's the responsibility of the church and what's the responsibility of individuals. Because what was happening was that you had certain widows who had families but were still expecting the church to do all sorts of things for them. Amen? Are you following? So it goes on to say, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I want to challenge you. If you are the breadwinner in your family, make sure you're looking after your family. If you're the breadwinner in your family, and I'm going to include children here, Make sure you're sending them to good schools. I'm tired of having to counsel couples where the wife wants to send the child to a good school and the husband is like, but why is it necessary? Are you hearing me? Wanting to drive fancy cars, live in fancy houses, but then send your child to an average school. One of the problems we've had in this country is bad education. The education system, ladies and gentlemen, in this nation has not been good. For those of us who come from places like Zim, we see it. When we came to university, first year university, you see it. You, those of you who studied with Zimbabweans, you'd see it. Where the Zimbabweans are ahead of the game and so on. Then in second year, that's when everyone else is catching up. And then you see that, hey, these guys are actually quite smart. So I'm not saying Zimbabweans are smarter than South Africans, don't get me wrong. All I'm just saying is when we come out of school, we were definitely a step ahead. Are you feeling me? One of the things that came with the apartheid system was, and we can go into details now in terms of which ones and so on, was poor education. But it was not limited just to the, the so-called Bantu education system. Even if you compare the Model C education and what would happen there, if you compare those Model C schools with other schools on the African continent, you'll see a gap. And even today, we've got a problem with our education system. Are you feeling me on this? There's some schools that are outstanding. Some schools that are outstanding. I want to encourage you parents, invest in the education of your children. That's one of the ways of honoring your children, but I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Amen? Can we do that? Can we do that? So we are responsible to look after, for looking after our own families. It's not the church's responsibility. But why does the church then support abandoned baby homes? They've got no parents to look after them. Amen. They've got no parents to look after them. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Proverbs 13 verse 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Think to yourself right now, young people in this room, think to yourself, what are the instructions of my parents to me? Which ones are in line with the word of God? Have I heeded them or not? That's wisdom right there. Amen? 
Just because you're now an adult does not mean that you must not consider your parents' advice. The Bible tells us don't despise them because of their age. That's so important. That word despise in scripture is so important. It's to look down upon. Dad, you don't understand these things, man. You know, Dad, you're ancient, man. Hey, <laughs> things have changed. Now, it's one thing to say that about how a remote control works. But you find that kids translate that just because a parent doesn't understand how a remote control works. They think that my folks don't understand anything about life. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. The Bible is very clear in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22. It says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Do not despise your mother when she's old. You know how we often do that? As we grow older and they grow older, we think we know what's best for them. So sometimes we don't even ask them, like, what would you prefer, this or this? We just assume we know. You know when a parent smothers a child and assumes they know because the child is small? Have you noticed that when your parents get older, sometimes you end up doing that to them? Do not despise your mother when she is old. How would you like your children to treat you one day? As they grow older, how would you like them to treat you one day? Think about it. Think about Have you visualized it? Have you visualized how you want them to treat you? Whatever you visualized, treat your parents like that today. If you want your children to communicate lots with you as they grow older and not to forget about you when they get married... Make sure you're doing that to your parents. Why? The Bible, is, the Bible is very powerful. It says in Matthew 7 verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. If you want your children to still be asking you for advice as they grow older, why don't you do that with your parents today? Are you feeling me here? Are you in agreement with me here? Amen? So what are some practical ways of honoring your parents? What are some practical ways? See, when you have this revelation and you see the blessing of it, you do it proactively. Because you understand that you're a kingdom person. And this is a way of unlocking kingdom blessings. Can I give you, I'll give you about eight things that you can do to honor your parents. Ask for their wisdom on matters. Ask for their wisdom on matters. Number two, update them on important events in your life. If you've had a major breakthrough, update them. If you've been promoted, update them. Do you know that it's an encouragement for parents when they've invested so much in your education? Okay, my parents sacrificed for my education. All right, they didn't have to send me out of the country. I studied here in South Africa. They didn't have to send me out of Zim to do so. It would have been cheaper. I got a place in the University of Zimbabwe. Could have studied there but they had to pay foreign currency for me to study here. Are you seeing where I'm going? Okay, so they want a return on that investment. They want to know, okay, what was the benefit of that? And you know what encourages parents? When you can update them concerning your success. But a lot of people today won't do that. They'll be like, ah, they'll think I'm too successful. They'll think I'm, too, I'm wealthier than I actually am. Ah, they'll think, and people just keep quiet. And then the distance grows. Amen? Update them. They want to know. Of course, they're happy about your success. They don't feel intimidated by it because they've invested in you. Amen? All right? 
Communicate with them relevant matters. Whatever is relevant to communicate, communicate with them relevant matters. Number four, be patient with them as they age. Maybe they're forgetting stuff. Maybe they're not as quick as they used to be. Be patient with them as they age. Some of you are thinking, no, I have to do that with my hubby already. You know what I mean? <laughs> not even parents. Like, I'm with my wife, we're already at that level. <laughs> right? But be patient with them as they age. Next, bless them financially and materially. Bless them financially and materially. Right? Next, help them physically as they age. Help them physically as they age. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned by how people will not get up, for example, and allow an old person or an aging person to sit down. Eh? We now have this mindset of like first come, first serve. I was so impressed. My son was playing uh, against, I think it was, uh, the school at Copperleaf recently, and I was standing with one of the parents there, and we were just standing. I didn't think too much of seats and so on, and some of the kids, uh, a particular lady just brought some chairs for us. A high school kid or junior school, I don't know, but she just brought some chairs. Thank you, thank you. Oh, cool, thank you. Thoughtful, has been raised well. Nowadays, we have kids hogging the couch. <laughs> Doesn't matter who pitches up and so on. You know, sometimes with my kids, we'll pitch up and we want to eat or we're watching a show or something like that. I'm like, guys, where do you think your mom is going to sit? Just how you like, where do you think your mom is going to sit? Are you feeling me this morning? And it's, it's, it's something you have to keep drilling in, drilling in, drilling in. That mindset of... Do not despise your mother as she gets older. I don't I have to be careful what I say now. Okay? So help them physically as they age. The next one, guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. Be careful about what you say about your parents. Okay? And then the next one, take an interest in their projects. Be interested in their projects. Have you noticed sometimes the default with parents is you end up talking more about yourself than them? Because they're so interested. And so they're asking you a million and one questions if your parents are like my parents. So tell us about the church. How's the church going? So tell us about this. How's it going? And then what about this? And then that opportunity. And then you're doing this with this company. How's it going? And then you end up talking about yourself because they're some of the few people in the world who actually are interested. You know what I mean? With your friends, they're like, oh, oh, you did that. With me, the latest is. But with parents, very often they listen because they're interested. But you know what I've learned? Take an interest in their projects too. However small those projects are, especially after your parents have retired, because there's still things that they are doing. Amen? We're having a bit of a, a mini family reunion in July. And I'm thinking, as I look at this, as I meditate on scripture, I'm thinking, how can I honor my parents when they're around? Amen? How can I take an interest in their affairs and what they're doing and their ministry and their counseling, not just mine? Because they'll be coming to me saying, oh, okay, so where are you going? Oh, how's the TV show going? Oh, you're doing the TV. But they also are counselors. Amen? These are ways in which we can honor our parents, one of the things I, I, I'm quite careful of doing is whenever I'm in Joburg and I have an opportunity to visit my in-laws, I like to make sure that when I go there, I'm also asking about their world. 
My mother-in-law runs a pottery, uh, runs a number of pottery classes, okay? Pottery classes. And one of the things she loves to do is to whisk us away and show us her studio and all the things that she's making. I enjoy taking an interest in that. Because the default is so easy. It's so easy to just park off there and they'll just be asking me questions. Paul, what about this? What about this? And then we don't end up talking about their world. Amen? So these are practical ways you can actually take an interest in your parents. One of the things I find interesting is I remember Juan sharing with me the one time how his daughter, Siobhan, went with him to his workplace. And you could see it really ministered deeply to him as he was sharing me that experience where she went in and she was in one of his meetings And the insights she had concerning the mood he was in and how he was wired at that time and how she said something that ministered deeply to him. One of the ways we take interest in what our parents are doing is actually going to their workplace with them. Amen? Physically going, showing interest. Hey, what are you doing? This is so powerful and it unlocks blessing. When we do this, we're prolonged in the land. How many of you want to be prolonged in your land? Think of creative ways. I've just given you eight. God will show you other ways in which you can honor your parents. My father-in-law, it's amazing when he tells stories. He's from an engineering background. And there's so many dams in Zim that he was involved in building. And you know with engineers, they're proud of it. So from time to time, if I mention a part of Zim, he'll say, Oh, we built a dam there. Oh, we did the... Lord has challenged me, ask more than two questions deep. Ask them more than two questions deep. Because they're looking back and saying, does my life have something to show? Are you hearing me this morning? And when we have those conversations, it boosts them. Because they're looking and they're saying, I did this and it's still there. I did that and it's still there. Isn't that powerful? This is so important, this, um, this scripture and this principle. The next area of honor I want to cover, we are called to honor children. Not just our own children, we are called to honor children. And we live in a society that dishonors children. Amen? And I want to show you some practical ways in which you can honor children. How many of you want that? So don't switch off. Amen? I want to show you how to honor children because it unlocks blessing. Watch this. We're called to honor the unborn child. We're called to honor the unborn child. South Africa, those of you watching by way of media, internet, we're called to honor the unborn child. In the book of Psalms 139, verse 13 to 16, I find this amazing. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does he mean when he says, I'm fearfully made? That word fearfully made means you took great care in making me. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This is so powerful when you look at the context because elsewhere David says that in, in iniquity or in sin I was conceived. And there are different theories in terms of who his mother was and what actually happened. But we know that he was rejected by his brothers. 
We know that he couldn't eat together with his brothers. He experienced rejection. Okay? And sometimes you actually, to really find out what happened, you also have to study some of the ancient writings. Okay? There's certain extra-biblical writings that go into the history of how he was conceived and why. And I don't want to go into that now. But the point I'm just making is that for him to say this, it means that it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your birth were, of your conception were. Your dignity is because of who created you and who gave you life, not the circumstances of your conception. Are you hearing me this morning? And for some of you, that's where freedom comes in when you understand this. Okay? So it goes on to say in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. You know what he's basically saying? He's basically saying, I was who I am before I had a body. He says, your eyes, they saw my unformed body. So just because a body is not fully formed yet, does not mean that it's not a person. What's the end of that, ladies and gentlemen? The end of this is if you start saying, oh, because that... that um, that fetus is not fully developed, it's not really a full person yet, then what happens if someone is born with a deformity? Are we going to kill them off? Because that's the end of that way of thinking. If you look at Nazi Germany, if you look at Germany under the Nazis, do you know that in 1933 they came up with a law to do with progeny and so on. But it was basically a law that said that you are forced in terms of sterilization if you've got an issue, if you're mentally handicapped, if you've got anything that is hereditary, extreme alcoholism, schizophrenia, they had a list of these things and they said, basically, we don't want you to have kids if you've got those issues. Do you know that? Forced sterilization. Imagine someone going up to you and basically saying, we don't want any more Meliswas. Imagine how you would feel. We've got an issue with how you are, so we don't want any more of you. You cannot have more coming from you. We don't want any more sepals. And you know that it didn't just end there, right, with forced sterilization. Afterwards, it was the mass murder of disabled people. Euthanasia. All people were being killed off. Oh, you, you, you're useless to us in society. So we look at the euthanasia that's happening today, and it looks all civilized. Oh, this is the generation we live in. We're not barbaric. That's what they were doing in Nazi Germany. And we look down on Nazi Germany and we're like, oh, look at what they're doing. Look what they're doing. But we're doing it today. Are you hearing me this morning? It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, this is so powerful. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one of them came to be, God had already ordained those days. How many kids have been killed through abortion that God had already ordained many days? And please, let's not say, oh no, that his time was short. You know, often someone, if someone dies, people just say, oh, it was God's will. You know, many times people die prematurely and it wasn't God's will. Are you hearing me? Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, it says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman 
with child, in other words, a pregnant woman, so that she gives birth prematurely. So she still gives birth, but it was premature. Yet there is no injury. He shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. That's how strict they were about these things. And I haven't got it down here, but if you go into verse 23, do you know how it continues, that thought? It says, if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life. In other words, if, if you guys are fighting and this woman ends up being affected or the baby ends up dying, life for life. So that child in the womb is considered just as important as the guy who's fighting. It doesn't say life for half-life. Is everyone following this morning? Imagine, imagine the Mona Lisa is being painted. Leonardo da Vinci is painting the Mona Lisa. And halfway through, in fact, when he's almost done, you come and you burn it up. So here God is weaving someone, creating. The person is being formed in the womb, being created. God is doing his thing. He's already given the, that, that fetus has, has actually got a spirit. Spirit is already there. It's already a person. There God is doing the weaving and then someone decides, no, this is inconvenient for me. Are you hearing me this morning? And listen, if you have been guilty of this, you've been involved in this, there's no condemnation, but it's something where we must acknowledge sin for what it is and go before God and say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Because there's no blessing in your life as a result of it. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm tired of people calling things what the world calls them instead of calling it what the Bible calls it. One of the other ways we can honor children is see children as a source of joy. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For I was overjoyed when the brothers came and testified about your devotion to the truth in which you continue to walk. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Allow your emotional state to be affected by children. When they do funny things, laugh. We live in a society where children have been so despised that they can't actually be a source of joy to grown-ups. It's like, ah, they're just being silly. See children as a source of joy. Not just biological children, but also spiritual children. Amen? Next, make children feel included and welcome. Make children feel included and welcome. In Mark 9 verse 37, Jesus says, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. That's a very powerful statement. Do you know that when we put dignity on children's ministry, do you know there's a blessing on the church? We're actually inviting Jesus. When we say our kids' ministry, go kids, is not going to just be a babysitting service, but we are welcoming these children with dignity. Jesus says we're welcoming him. 
You know what this shows me, ladies and gentlemen? You can pray as much as you want and say, Jesus, come, manifest yourself in this place. But if we don't receive our children with dignity, we're not welcoming Jesus. Are you following? It says, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. In Mark 10, verse 13 to 14, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you know what this shows me? As a church, we must let the young people serve. Isn't it wonderful when you see our youth involved in ushering? Multimedia. Various places. We must never have this mindset of, and this is what a lot of children think, I will do the church thing one day when I've settled down. For now, let me go into the world. Uh, church is for grown-ups. Let me just have fun in the world. This is not for me. Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of God. Amen. I think this is so powerful when we catch this. Okay? Let them serve. How many of you grew up in families where you are told children must be seen, not heard? Right? I think I asked you that last week. Children must be seen, not heard. Where you cannot have conversations with grown-ups. Where you are banished from the table. There's no baby Holy Spirit. There's no baby Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same for a grown-up and for a child. Amen? Very often we've got this thing of like, I know he's still too young to know about A, B, C, D. Says who? The disciples for the most part were youngsters. And look how God used them. Amen? Get them serving and ministering in church. The next way we honor children is not despising them. Don't despise them. Don't despise them. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. What does the word despise mean? It means to think little of. To think little of. It comes from two Greek words, kata and phroneo. Okay, phroneo means to judge or to think of. And kata speaks of down or against. So to judge from up down. Does that make sense? To judge as lower, to look down upon, to think of and to come against someone. That's the word kata. And I think it's so powerful. But look what it goes on to say. It says, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. That tells me that God has assigned angels for children. Angels that protect, right? That's just one of the functions of angels. How many of you know that if someone is important, they have a bodyguard? How many of you would love to have heavenly bodyguards? There have been times when my wife has been running in quite a dangerous area and she could just feel the presence of an angel just there with her. How many of you would like heavenly bodyguards? Now the Bible is showing us here that, you know what, we must honor these children and not despise them because from heaven's perspective, they have angels assigned to them. 
One of the things I see in scripture, and I think I'm going to do a whole teaching on angels at some point, but one of the things I'm seeing is that there's a link between honoring and angelic activity. You better honor someone who walks with angels. Amen? Look at the logic with which Jesus is teaching this. He's basically saying, don't look down upon them. In other words, honor them. Why? Because they have angels assigned to them. Isn't that powerful? And by the way, these are not low-order angels. I mean, if you know that you have angels that are right there by the throne of God, cherub and seraphim. You've got angels there that are worshiping, and they're before the Lord's face. You've got other angels around on the earth doing various things. But the point I'm making is that these are angels where they're always before God's face. And they've been assigned to these children. Isn't that powerful? This is such an encouraging statement. Some of you wonder, how did my child survive this? How did my child survive that? How come my child was trying to cross the road the one day and so on, and suddenly there was a car that came up, but it didn't manage to run him over? How did it happen? They have angels assigned to them. Let's honor that. Amen? Why would God assign angels to them if they are not important? Why do we treat them like they're just nothing? You know, we live in a generation that sees children not as a blessing, but as an inconvenience or an expense. It's true, isn't it? When you speak to people in the world, they talk about kids like, ah, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, having many kids. Yeah. Watch what the scripture says about kids. Watch what the scripture says about kids. See them as a blessing. Psalm 127. Verse 3 to 5, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. One of the powerful prayers you can pray, let's say you believe in God for kids, or maybe you've got one child and you're believing for the second one. These are scriptures to claim. Say, Lord, you said in your word that I am blessed, that you've blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. I thank you and I claim this because you've said children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. I thank you for this reward, Father God. I thank you that like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. I want kids in my youth, Lord God. I want kids in my youth, Lord God. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I want a quiver full. Some of you might not want a quiver full. They say, they say a, a quiver has about, what, 12 arrows in it, okay? Okay? Goes on to say, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. In Proverbs 17, verse 6, it says, children's children, these are grandchildren now, are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Say to the person next to you, children are a blessing. Whether it's your own children or children that you see around. And when we have a revelation that these kids are a blessing, we treat them with dignity, don't we? How many of you teach in children's ministry? You're off duty right now, you're here. Okay, that's one of the things, that's one of the revelations that keeps you going, isn't it? Hey? Sister X, that's one of the things that keeps you going, isn't it? You recognize the blessing of these kids. 
For many people, you know, especially if the child, if it was an unplanned situation, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 we thought we would have two kids, now we've got three. Or thought we would have only four, now we've got five. But look at that child now as they're growing up, the blessing that that child is. Amen? Isn't God good? Children are a blessing. Another way in which we honor children, don't lead them astray. Don't lead them astray. Matthew 18, verse 1 to 6. This is super powerful. Don't let the enemy rob you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him. Isn't this so powerful? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now watch this, verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. There's a powerful revelation here. We honor children by not causing them to stumble. How do you cause a child to stumble? You either teach them the wrong thing. A friend of ours was sharing with us um, recently, saying that her husband was telling her son, you know, ah, when you, don't worry, don't, don't, don't get married when you grow up. Don't get married. Rather just have lots of girlfriends, but don't get married. If he follows that advice, that man has just caused his son to stumble. Are you hearing me? We cause our kids to stumble by teaching them the wrong stuff. How do you know you're teaching your child the right stuff? Get clued up yourself in the word of God. Amen? Take them to churches that preach the word. If you go to a dodgy church where they spray doom on, on you and your children, you're the one who's caused your child to stumble by taking your child there. Are you hearing me this morning? One of the ways we cause our children to stumble is by teaching them the wrong stuff. Another way is by not teaching them at all. Allowing other people to do it. Because if I'm not actively teaching my children, by default they'll be taught by the media. Amen? One of the other ways in which we cause our children to stumble is when we wound them. How many of you know that there are many people today who are sinning as grown-ups because of the wounds they experienced as kids? When a girl is 13 years of age, 12, 13, she's very sensitive, isn't she? There are sins of commission and sins of omission. As a father, you could say, but I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. But you were absent. And what your child needs at that particular age, she needs that affirmation from you. She needs to hear that daddy thinks I'm beautiful and I'm his princess. She, you need to be going on dates with her. If you are not, where is she going to look for that affection? 
Some of you ladies in this room, you know from experience, where did you look for affection when daddy wasn't home? You've got the answer. She will then look for attention from guys. Maybe that guy will tell me I'm beautiful. But she had daddy issues. Amen? She had daddy issues. If she doesn't look for attention from guys, very often she will become addicted to her work. She will look for external validation. So she'll be like, oh, cool, I'm very smart. And I get attention from teachers because I'm smart. So I'll get addicted to getting 100% all the time. Amen? So she becomes a perfectionist or she becomes a workaholic. But you've caused her to stumble. Not by what you did, but by what you did not do. Amen. So we honor our children by doing these kinds of things. We also honor our children by protecting them. Amen. You know that when a child is growing up, there's preparation and there's protection. We have to protect their moral innocence. We have to protect their moral innocence. Why do we have all these blocks on TV or on their phones? To protect them from what's in the media. Amen. Because just if a, if a young boy just sees one porn thing, one naked woman, that can affect them for the rest of their lives. I've spoken to men who've cheated on their wives and I've said they're different causes of adultery and infidelity. And one of them is if it's a pattern that has been in someone's psyche ever since they were young. And you'll hear people saying, you know what, I think that might be a bit of a problem. I'm free from pornography now, but for many years, I was, I was bound by it. You hear people saying that, don't you? You hear them saying, I was bound by porn ever since I was 13, ever since I was 11, ever since I was 10. And it affects their marriages today. What would have happened if we watched them more closely and guarded and protected what they saw? There's protection and there's preparation. So sometimes you have to prepare your child at a certain age. It's always age appropriate so that they're exposed to certain things because you can't really fully protect them from the world. So you say to them, we've just watched this movie together. What was wrong with it? What thing did you see that was not biblical? There are times when we're watching a movie with our kids and we have to press pause and say, guys, that statement that he's just made, you know that we don't believe that, right? Yes, yes, mom, dad, yes, we know, we know. What do you think we're like? Well, you guys don't trust us, all right? But you do that because that's the preparation stage now. They're old enough to see certain things and to have critical debates, discussions around what they've just seen. Are you hearing me? But at a certain age, they still have to be protected from it. Now you say to me, is this in the Bible, Paul? I'll show it to you in the Bible. I'll show it to you in the Bible. This is, this is so powerful. So powerful. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23, it's talking about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. So they protected him, right? What should we be hiding our children from? What's the reason? Why did they hide him? Why did they protect him? It says, because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. What motivated them to hide Moses for three months? They saw 
He was not an ordinary child, and they did it by faith. They saw into his life. They saw that there's destiny on this child. When we recognize and not despise, when we recognize the call of God on our children's lives, we are more motivated to protect them. If you see your kids as just, ah, they're just ordinary. Ah, they'll just have an ordinary job just doing whatever they want to do. You won't be motivated to protect them, will you? If I have a revelation that, oh, the call of God is on this child. Oh, there's something special about this child. I am motivated to protect that child. My question is, can you see your child's destiny? Are you honoring your child's destiny? Are you honoring the destiny of these little kids that come to go kids that are all around you? When we honor that, we protect it. Amen? And by the way, this principle is true concerning ourselves as adults. We'll talk about that on another Sunday, okay? Another way, we another way we honor our children, don't provoke them to anger. In Colossians 3 verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You see, their personality is formed in those first 10 years and they're often just looking for that validation from you. And each time you say, son, you can do it. Daughter, you can do it. You are precious. You are special. They just drink it in, don't they? Dad, do you think I can become a professional soccer player? How good do you think I am, dad? Now, there's a fine line between lying to your kids. <laughs> and affirming your kids. Amen. Amen. <laughs> There's a fine line, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right? But don't embitter your children. Don't embitter your children. One of the ways we provoke our kids is by shouting at them. There's a way you can discipline children without having to shout at them and scream at them. We're even talking about it, you know. If you listen, especially the, town, the township schools, and you look at how they're spoken to, you know, the soccer team's there and what the coaches there will say to them and so on. Because often in the township, that's how people just grew. You are screamed at, you are told this, told that, and you just grow up with that. And then we wonder why when we're in the workplace today, there's some people who are very confident. Their self-esteem is very high. And the other people you say, come, give a presentation. They can't. Amen. We are called to imprint God and his nature on them. Another way you honor children is facilitate their purpose development. We're called to facilitate their purpose development. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say train up a child in the way you feel like him going. In the way he should go. It doesn't say train up a child in the way you wanted to go when you were his age. Train up a child in the way he should go. Maybe he's not good at maths and you are good at maths. Maybe he's not called to that. Amen? I remember my dad couldn't understand why my older brother David and myself weren't good at accounting. I was like, but guys, because he was good at accounting. We weren't good at accounting. And I remember, I remember he was baffled the one time. I was kind of like, but guys, 
Sometimes we exalt certain subjects above others. Are you hearing me? Just because you're good at maths doesn't mean automatically your kids will all be good at maths. And just be okay with what they're good at and train them up in the way that they should go. Purpose development. And don't try to live out your dreams through them. Amen? Purpose development. A lady called Amy McCready said, Our long-term goal is to raise self-motivated, capable, respectful, and resilient humans, not ones who are easily coerced by the pressure of others. But if they've grown up all their lives being dominated by their parents, smothered by their parents, this is the best profession, you must do this. Without seeking God, which way should my child go? They grow up being dominated and then they go into the workplace and history repeats itself. Everyone is telling them what to do. Many times we force our children to like the sports that we like. They decide to play something else. See, parents are like, who's into tennis? Why would you want to do that? Ballet. Now why on earth would someone want to do that? Who does ballet? You hear parents speaking like that. But what if your child wants to do it? Be very careful of not affirming how your child is wired naturally. Are you hearing me this morning? Be very careful about that. And some of you here are saying, yeah, but I don't have children. I'm hoping to have children one day. But Paul, I don't have. This is not relevant to me. Don't only learn these principles once you have kids. These principles are good whether you've got nephews, nieces, you're teaching and go kids. These are important principles. One of the problems I have with today's society, I teach a lot on marriage. And people are like, it's not relevant for me because it's for married people. Do you know that when I was about 18 years of age, I remember purchasing a book called Seven Secrets of Effective Fathering by a guy called Ken Canfield. I remember my dad seeing this book on my bedside. And I remember you were saying, oh, this is where you're going to see all the mistakes that I've been making. (laughs) At about 18, I was reading a book on fathering. If you ask my friends, Pastor Vim, uh, Pastor Trace, the guys who were at Varsity with me, they'll tell you that I was known at university, my university days, I was called the K-I-N-G of DNC. DNC was dating and courtship. I would give relationship advice. (laughs) I was known as that. Hey, Paul Nyams, the K-I-N-G of DNC. That, I was known for that. Now today I'm counseling couples. Are you, are you feeling me here? Don't wait until you're now a pilot to learn how to fly a plane. How many of you have gone to a plane with a guy who says, like, it's on the job training? We do it a bit differently in this airline. It's on the job training. You would jump off. So if you're in a place where you want to have kids one day, I want to ask you to do something. Start learning about parenting today. Amen? I'm tired of young people saying, no, no, that's parent, that we, we're not yet at that level. Start having a vision of this is the type of parent I want to be. This is the type of husband I want to be. This is the type of wife I want to be. And you'll see it will affect your behavior today. It will affect how you carry yourself today. Amen. Another way we honor children is by respecting their boundaries. Respect 
their boundaries. Okay? When you model respect to your children, they're more likely to become respectful. I want to share with you three ways of respecting their boundaries. Number one, let them own their bodies. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Often a child is now of age to wipe their own face, right? When it's dirty, when they've been eating. Don't just go and wipe it for them. How many of you as an adult would like, how many of you like it if someone goes and wipes your nose for you? Hey, let me take this off you. Rather say, hey, you've got that thing. I said it to Daniel this morning. You've got some cream on your left cheek. Do you want to take it off? Does that make sense? If their collar is up like this and so on, hey, your collar is up. Can I help you with it? That's a boundary. Instead of just going, let me just do it. And now your child is 13 and you're basically dressing them up. One of the ways we honor our children and we honor each other is letting people own their own bodies. Amen? Hey, honey, your, your shirt is untucked. Is that the style you want to have today? Or, or, or are you going to tuck it in? Uh, this is the style I want to have today. Okay, it's all good. It's fine. No, when it's stylish. Okay? Allow them to have their own hairstyles. They don't have to have the boring hairstyle that you have. No, seriously. The the fact that they're in school is quite useful. But during the holiday, if they're going to be creative, let them be creative, guys. Let them be creative. Look how creative. The hairstyle you have on today. 20 years ago in your mother's house, would would it have gone down? No. Let's, let's be a bit flexible here, unless it's rebellious. Unless it's rebellious. Unless it's based on that dubious rock star that they're now copying. All right? Let's be flexible. Do not interrogate them. You know, instead of saying, how was school today? What was the science, was the t- science test hard? What did you have for lunch? 50 million questions all at once. How many of you know that, especially with boys, that doesn't work? They'll just say, fine. My brother said the other day, my my kids said the other day, mom, with with Samuel, sometimes he just gives you any answer because he just doesn't want to talk sometimes. So sometimes he'll just give you an answer just to keep you quiet. Okay? So try try this because this is our purpose. We want to affirm the kids, right? Welcome home. I'm so glad to see you. Hey, you know what? One of my best times of day is when you guys come back from school. Hopefully it's the truth. Sometimes in our household, it's like, okay, are you ready? <laughs> are you prayed up? Koraba shanda rakaba. Hey, I'm powered up now. <laughs> All right. The other area of boundaries with children is let them answer for themselves. I still remember counseling a couple of young girls years ago, and the mother had basically said, you know what, can you help my kids? Because they've got social phobia. They're afraid of, they're extremely shy. They're afraid in social settings. I asked those girls more than two questions deep. I started with the older one. Asked them more than two questions deep. I noticed that her sibling, her sister, had the same issue. And one of the things they showed me, what they told me, they said, our mom answers questions for us. 
So you know when someone comes and says like, hey girls, uh, what sport are you doing at school now? And the mother will just come in and say, well, they like tennis now and they now like... Do you know what happens? Your child learns to be lazy. They're like, oh, mom will always answer for me. And they don't end up with the social skills of actually talking to grown-ups. Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes your perfectionism gets in the way because you've got the perfect answer and you're controlling that way. Let them answer for themselves. I've had to rebuke some parents around that. Because sometimes I'm wanting to connect with the child. The parents keep, parent keeps ask, answering. And I say to them in front of their child, I say, I want to hear from him. I'm, I'm asking him. Are you hearing me? Okay. So let them answer for themselves. Okay. When you do that, you're reinforcing that their opinion is valued. When you answer on behalf of someone else, you're basically saying, I'll say it better than you. At a subconscious level, that's what you're communicating. I will say it better than you, and my opinion is more important than you. All right? So stop rescuing them. Get them to practice. And then finally today, I want to look at honoring your spouse. That's important, isn't it? Sometimes I'll counsel a couple, and I'll reach a point where I'll say, you know what, guys? The root issue here, you're dishonoring each other. Ladies and gentlemen, when honor is no longer in a marriage, when honor is no longer in a marriage, that marriage is going to die a slow death. Do you hear how I speak of my wife? And I'm not ashamed of it. You might think he's a doting husband, and why is he always saying that? You know, it's not cool. You know, some guys, you know, don't do it. Seriously, because of their pride. But it's my way of honoring my wife. Are you hearing me this morning? Right. I want to give you some tips and I'm going to preach fast. So listen fast, please. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. There's extremely powerful revelation here, so please listen. In the ESV it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Some men will say, eh, but that's impossible <laughs> to understand a woman. Mm. But the Bible says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Very often we like to emphasize, wives, honor your husbands. Now that's very important and we'll go there. But here, he's basically saying, deal with your wives with understanding. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And I've taught this many times before. Weaker, it's not saying she's a weaker person. It's basically saying fragile, handle with care. You know, sometimes you've got a lot of men who've got this thing where they don't understand how women are sensitive. Right? You can't just treat your wife like she's your homie. There was a time earlier on, I think it was when I was still courting my wife. You all know what courting is, right? Right? (laughs) And I remember one time, like, I was doing those fancy handshakes, you know? I used to rap a bit and that kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Seriously. And I was doing one of those fancy handshakes, and I said said to her, I'm like, so, yo, what up? And I did some, and, and she taught me way back. And she said, Paul, I'm not your homie. And it landed. It landed. Some guys treat their wives 
Like, like, like your wife is your homie. Fragile, handle with care. Men and women fight differently. There's a way you deal with things in the marketplace. There's a way she's wired where she won't deal with things in the same way. Be patient with that. God wired us differently. Amen? Now watch this. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This was quite something, hey, for Peter to be talking about. In a time where women were seen as second-class citizens. What does it go on to say? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Please listen very carefully. There's a link between honor and effectiveness in prayer. Prayers can be hindered. Say to the person next to you, your prayers can be hindered. And I will teach you this sometime in the future, but there are different things that hinder our prayers. There are different things that hinder our prayers. And it's not for now because I'm out of time. But one of the things that hinders your prayer is when you don't deal with your wife, men, with understanding. When you don't honor her as the weaker vessel, fragile handle with care. Are you hearing me? I've seen men, the moment they don't treasure and cherish their wives, it doesn't matter how many prayers they do, it doesn't matter how much fasting they do, it doesn't matter how many ignites they go to, you start seeing their careers going like this. I want my prayers to reach heaven. There are things that will cause your prayers to reach heaven. And don't con yourself thinking all my prayers are heard in heaven. Because I'm a new covenant child. I'm a new covenant child, so all my prayers will be answered. And you start quoting scriptures out of context. Prayer and obedience go hand in hand. Are you hearing me? I wish I had time to unpack that a little bit more. But I don't. But we're going to go. We, 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 this is powerful. Dishonoring your wife hinders your prayers Gentlemen in the room, if you've been dishonoring your wives in any way and God is convicting you, please, please repent as quick as possible if you want breakthrough. And those of you who are single, when you fornicate and you mess around with women, you're dishonoring your wife-to-be. Just in case you thought this doesn't apply to you, you're dishonoring your wife-to-be. Church has gone very quiet. <laughs> Can I go deeper into this quickly? I've got five minutes left. I'm going to go deeper into this very quickly. This is so powerful. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Wives, submit yourselves. Who does the submitting? Okay, so you do it actively. Now, elsewhere it says, submit yourselves one to another. But here it's talking about, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. So don't get someone to submit you to your husband. You do it. It's an act of the will. We can't force it. When your husband forces you to submit, that's not true submission. True submission is voluntary. You do it voluntarily. Amen? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Not to every man in the hood. 
Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? There's a revelation there, just that phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. This is how the kingdom works. Colossians 3 verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. In other words, be gentle. There used to be a song back in the 90s, Be Gentle, by a group called BVSMP. Do you remember that song? Okay, I don't <laughs> Older sippers like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be gentle. I won't go into it. I won't go into it. Okay? Ephesians 5, verse 33. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's honor. Ephesians 5, verse 28 in the ESV. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Jimmy, do you love your body? <laughs> we know. You look after it. You look after it. Okay? Of course. Right? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's so much revelation here. I haven't got time. This is the one I want to unpack very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. I'm reading in the NIV. Do you love the word? Watch this. Watch this. I'm reading in the NIV. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head. It was talking about head coverings. Now that's symbolic of something. It's symbolic of something. Right? We don't have to do it now, today, but it symbolizes that you're under authority and you submit to your own husband. What does it say afterwards? One of the things that would happen in the intertestamental period, right? The belief was that whenever these guys would gather together in church, whenever they would gather together in church, there were angels present. That's why you find when Paul was speaking to Timothy and he would say, you know what? Stir up the gift of God that came on you when the elders laid their hands on you through the word of prophecy. Remember, he was ordained and he says, in the presence of angels. So the belief there was when we would gather together, there were angels in their midst. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 10. There were angels in their midst. I believe that's true. Because angels are commissioned to do certain things. There are certain things that don't happen without the activation of the angelic. Amen? But how many of you know that angels flow with authority? They acknowledge where there's order and where people are under authority, where those who are supposed to be submitted are submitted. When there's disorder and lack of submission to authority and chaos, it's noticed in the spirit realm. Please listen. It's noticed in the spirit realm. And it affects the answering of prayers. There was the role of angels when it came to, when it came to prayers being carried up to heaven. That's why if you look in the book of the Revelation, what does it say? It talks about the bowl of incense, doesn't it? It talks about the bowl of incense and talks about the angel coming with the incense which represented the prayers of the saints. That's why certain prayers are answered quicker when there's lots of angels responding to the bid of the word of the Lord. Are you following me this morning? 
I was in prayer the other day. It was extended prayer. And I was praying and I was praying and I was praying. And I was thinking, I, I think it's quite powerful. I think it's quite powerful. And at a certain point, I'd repented of a particular thing. The Lord had been talking, speaking to me about certain things that I was attaching to my identity as a person. That he wanted to, me to just lay down certain crowns, certain achievements, certain things on my CV. And I noticed the atmosphere changing after I had prayed that prayer of repentance. And I could feel the presence of angels around me and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he basically said some of the declarations that you had been making earlier on they didn't have power nothing happened I want you now to redeclare those things but now in the presence of these angels because they're here and they're about to do the bidding of that word are you hearing me and it was in that environment when I then made those declarations I started to see the results so the Bible says a woman, a married woman, stay under the covering of your husband because of the angels. Do you know that there are certain cults that have started because of women who moved from outside the covering of their husbands? They didn't even get divorced. They just moved from outside the covering and they were doing their own thing. A cult began. Just go and study the history of some of these cults. Don't study them too much. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Spiritual covering is important. Are you following me today? In Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 to 8, it says... A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, this is God speaking, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You placed defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know that you can apply this passage to marriage? Because here God was basically showing, if you are doing A, B, C, D, you're dishonoring me. If you apply this to marriage, look what we come up with. You dishonor your spouse by not giving them your best. You dishonor your spouse by being comfortable with impurity. You dishonor your spouse by not being aware of the impact of your dishonor. You dishonor your spouse by being indifferent with regards to the position they hold in your life. And you dishonor your spouse when you treat others better than you treat them. Are you following? Those of you who are single and you want to get married. I mean, if you are single and you want to get married. Begin to meditate on this. Begin to meditate on this and say to yourself, I want to be an honoring husband. I want to be an honoring wife. Amen? Don't just start the moment you say, I do. So you see, honor is based on the position someone holds in your life, 
not on their day-to-day behavior. And I want to land with this. Few examples of how you can honor your spouse. Would you like that? Practical examples. Tell them what's coming up on your schedule. Tell them what's coming up on your schedule. Tell them, hey, this week, this is what this week is looking like. I'm seeing certain women looking at their hobbies. This is the moment where people start nudging each other. Let them be the first to know about important things in your life. Very often I'll be with a group of people, I get a breakthrough business-wise, and I'll say, sorry guys, I've just received some good news, but I can't tell you, I have to first tell my wife. And I make sure she knows that she's the first person to know. When I phone her, I'll say, my love, I, just, I could have told other people, you know, but um, you know, I spent the last five hours because you were not available. I spent the last five hours just keeping it to myself because I wanted you to be the first one to know. And she does the same with me. Are you hearing me? If you're running late, communicate. It's amazing how people honor their bosses so much. Oh, oh, I'm so late for that meeting. Ooh, I'm so late. And they're always on time. But you're going for a date with your wife or you're late arriving home and you don't tell them. You've dishonored them. Amen? Call them something exclusive. I call my wife my precious one or presh, my presh. Okay? Call them something exclusive that you don't call other people. Respond timelessly to their WhatsApps, their emails, or missed calls. Don't be like, ah, no, yeah, I'll catch them at the end of the day. They know I'm busy. You've dishonored them. Yet if it's your boss, what do you do? The moment you say it, you phone me. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry I missed your call. I missed your call. Why don't you do that to your spouse? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a key to our breakthroughs. Attend to their needs as a priority, placing greater weight on these than requests from your friends or your extended family. One of the big complaints a lot of women out there have is, you know what, when I ask my hubby to do stuff for me, he procrastinates. But if his mother or his brothers or his cousins or his boss ask him, he drops everything and he does it. You're dishonoring your spouse. Don't take them for granted by procrastinating. Be fully present when they are speaking to you. Yes, switch off your phone. When you keep on your phone and so on while they're speaking to you, all you're saying is, I'd rather be connecting with these other people than with you. Is it that urgent? Is the sky going to fall? Seriously, guys, with lots of, lots of people in the workplace, they've actually got a policy. After a certain time of day, they put away their phones. Unsaved people, that's how they honor their spouses. They tell me this. There's some people, there's, there's literally no boundaries. Throughout the day, at home, in the lounge, in the kitchen. The phone is always brr, brr, brr. In the bedroom, brr. I remember counseling someone at one stage, coaching someone, and, and, um, and she said to me, you know what has really helped our marriage? No gadgets, no phones, no gadgets in the room. We switch them off. Amen? Because with all these gadgets, what ends up happening? You end up not talking to each other. You have an opportunity. You want to share something with your spouse. Oh, I'm going to have to wait. They seem to be busy. And you just keep quiet. 
and you experience loneliness in marriage. Amen? Take into consideration their recreational preferences. What do they enjoy doing? What type of movies do they like watching? Okay? Allow them to be themselves. This reinforces self-acceptance. Avoid being domineering and controlling. Don't smother them. A lot of moms do this in particular, where they don't distinguish between the kids and their spouse. Have you noticed that? So you've got the kid hat, a mom hat. Then to the husband. No, this is, the, the, you're a mom here with the children. Take the mom hat off, you're now a wife to your husband. Different roles. Amen? Value them as a powerful human being with their own unique tastes. Their tastes in clothes, their tastes in hairstyles, their taste in sport, their taste in food, their taste in movies. I'm shocked how many couples have arguments about what movie is better than another. Like we have to watch and like the same movies all the time. No, if your husband enjoys action thrillers, let him enjoy that. If you like romantic dramas, you enjoy it. Hopefully at some point there's an overlap so you can go on movie dates with each other. Okay? Amen. So we're going to honor our parents, we're going to honor our children, and we're going to honor our spouses. Let's pray. If you're here and you want to make a decision to be a person of honor, you want to honor children, maybe you've looked down on them. You want to honor your parents, maybe you've despised them. You want to make a decision to honor your spouse, maybe you haven't honored them in the way that you ought. Just stand up where you are. I want us to pray a prayer of repentance and I just want to release God's grace for us to be effective when it comes to honoring Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I want breakthrough in my life. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the riches in your word. I ask for your forgiveness. May you forgive me for where I have not truly honored children. May you forgive me where I have not truly honored my parents. May you forgive me where I have not truly honored my spouse or even my spouse-to-be. I repent. I turn from that. I embrace honor in my life. And I embrace breakthrough in Jesus' name. Father, you've seen the response of the people of God. And right now, I pray for this congregation that you would take us to higher heights and new dimensions in you. I thank you, God, for this culture of honor. I thank you, God, for this revelation of honor in our midst, Lord. I thank you that we will execute it with the balance that is in the word of God. I thank you, God, that we will unlock things in heavenly places that are there for the taking because of this principle of honor. I release 
release my brothers and sisters to a place of honor. I break every snare of the enemy over them. I thank you for longevity. I thank you for breakthrough in the land. I thank you, God, that you catapult them. I thank you, God, that as they honor, they will be honored. I speak blessing and I speak protection over this word in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.